born out of an innovative partnership with the American Legion. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Carmen. Thank you, my uh, pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. This is, I, I, I love the work that your firm does. So it's an honor to get to, to meet more of the team. Great, thank you. Uh, so just please tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and your story. Um, well, like a lot of great real estate professionals, I'm um, part Colombian, like someone else you know. So. I think, Paula, you're a Colombian as well, right? Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> I immigrated here um, in 1967. I was born a couple of years later, and we, um, they raised us in New York in the, the Queens area and, you know, really lived the American dream. I've got two siblings, and, and my parents worked their butts off to give us a chance to get an education, and that was our kind of pathway, and then they really came here with nothing. So, you know, my, my passion for what I do is about kind of a multi-generational approach to ensuring everyone has the opportunities I was given when I when I came here. That's awesome. Yeah, my family are also immigrants, so I definitely uh, appreciate that. That's awesome. My family's from the Caribbean, Jamaica, and Trinidad. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, can, I can see you have a diverse, diversity is in, is in <laughs> Pala's DNA. I look around and, and I see all these awesome um, folks who also seem to have uh, different backgrounds. So I love that. I think that says a lot about your ethos yeah. and even this program that you're hosting um, says a lot about your what's important to you as a design firm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about more about your career. Uh, you started in the hospitality sector, then moved on to Clark Construction. And in 2011, you joined APA. Uh, when did you decide to move to an organization such as APA? Yeah, so, you know, out of business school, um, you know, I got my MBA at Wharton. I, my husband um, was here in DC at that point, and I really wanted to be in DC and do corporate finance. And Marriott was kind of a unique kind of bridge between real estate and finance because they, they did a lot of their acquisitions in-house. They kind of recruited investment bankers to run all their performas and do big portfolio deals. So I wanted to learn real estate from the finance standpoint. So I was in a nine person boutique that supported the then CFO of, of Marriott who Arnie Sorensen later became the CEO who just passed away. So I was part of that nine person team that would do the long range planning so that we could help guide the investor relations team to say, you know, how many hotels build in four years so that we keep growing the way we need to grow. So this approach to looking at a five-year view of a portfolio, which actually is something I tried to bring even to APA when I came here is, you don't, don't just worry about what you're doing today, worry about the business development and what, what's coming next and pick the right projects. Um, and then my boss from Marriott started a real estate practice within the Clark Construction family to do public-private partnerships where they could you know help oversee design, get permits, um, structure finance for groups that had ambitious real estate projects, something that Clark could later build, but needed two or three years of the development piece of the, of the job. So I followed her there and that was called Clark Ventures. It later became rebranded Edgemore Real Estate Services. And that's really where I learned how to be a developer, how to, you know, um, go and, you know, start the community process, helping build a vision for projects getting the entitlements done, 
Um, and then at, at a meeting in 2009, when I was at Clark, I went to a ULI panel and I saw Mina Jana Paula, CEO of, of APA present about affordable housing and about her kind of focus here in Arlington. And it just kind of stayed with me for many years, for a couple of years. And um, in 2011, I kind of woke up New Year's Day and I'm like, you know what, I want to do something different. And I love the projects I was working on in Clark that were mixed income, um, really resonated to me. And I said, I would love to do that full time. And so I, you know, went to see her. I said, you know, can I volunteer on your board? Um, and she's like, no, you know, I don't really need a board member. She's like, what I need is a pipeline. She's like, but I can't afford anyone on have a budget. So I actually um, worked for free for about five months and said, let me see, I've never worked at a nonprofit. I've only worked at big fortune 500s or a big place like Clark. I don't know if I will like kind of the pace, you know, it might be too slow for me at a nonprofit. Let's just see if this works as a kind of volunteer business development person. And then, you know, five months later, I was like, this is better than anything I've ever done. It's, it's wow. so much fun. And I just, here we are a decade later. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, well, and also congratulations on your new position as executive vice president. Uh, uh, APA's leadership is feminine, including yourself and the president, Nina Janapo. Uh, this is quite unusual in the industry uh, where women are still underrepresented in management positions. Uh, what do you have to like? What do you think the reasoning for that is? Well, you know, I think the thread in my career has certainly been women looking out for women um, or, you know, making sure that there's a place, you know, I have three kids and there have been different points in my career where it's been overwhelming to kind of be in this business. That's a lot of late meetings, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, hundred million dollar deals that, you know, we've put a lot of money in at risk to get to closing and, you know, how you balance all that. And the women I've been attracted to, to work for are all, you know, demand excellence, just demand accountability. You're not missing a deadline, but also give you back flexibility, do it how it's going to work in your life. If, if, you know, if you need to go to this parent teacher conference or you need to do this or your kid's sick or your parent needs you, like we're the whole person, right? So go take care of your business, but then um, I know you can get it done, get me that rezoning and don't miss the hearing and get, and, and we've just really, I've, I've gravitated working for people like that. And I want to be that kind of leader to others. Um, and candidly, you know, my boss gave me permission to tell you guys this, but we announced yesterday 400 of our funders, she's retiring in June and, and the board elected me to be CEO last week. So, you know, awesome. which is really exciting. And she said, you know, in the spirit of, of, of kind of you guys inviting me in to share about my career, you know, it was Nina kind of mentoring me for the last three years, knowing that she would one day want to retire and giving me the, the tools and the opportunity to, to meet the, the right people on the board, to meet the right funders, to do more than just a real estate because she knows being the CEO involved other things that would be important for her to carry on. So it's been a quiet partnership and discernment from her in terms of she wasn't sure when she wanted to happen, that to happen, but she wanted to make sure I was ready. So, you know, I think finding mentors in your life, I guess, is, is the key. That's awesome. And congratulations again on that. That's great news. Thank you. Uh, I guess even talking a little bit back about uh, back when you were director of acquisitions, uh, 
we notice how do you keep how does APA keep homes so affordable and how do you guys acquire the organization like how do you guys acquire the units you know it's it's the same tools that the market rate folks are doing which is you know um, networking a lot with owners brokers our board of directors we have a really amazing board of, of professionals that were either market rate developers or former elected officials or just community leaders. Um, and they're always, you know, they may hear of something, make an introduction um, or, you know, or we, we, we rarely win broker packages, frankly, because I think there's so much external capital coming to this region with a lot of cash and they can close quickly. Our best pipeline comes from mission-minded partners. You know, it's, it's people who really believe in what we're doing and they're willing to maybe give us six months to close or maybe even if it's a new development, a year to close so we can get through an entitlement so that we have time to pull our resources together. Um, and that's been really, and then it's been a lot of our own redevelopment. So taking APA owns 18 properties, where do we have an asset that is underutilized? You know, an acre of land with 27 units on it that could be re-envisioned to be 12 stories Let's let's meet, let's meet with county planning staff. Let's let's sell them on our vision and then walk through a multi-year change in the general land use plan, change in the zoning, create new tools, advocate for that. Um, has also been kind of a big part of the pipeline. So it sounds like it really hinges on like strong partnerships. So Absolutely. That that's 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 it's in our name, the Arlington Partnership for Affordable yeah. and it's it, it's true to why it works. Right. Uh, talking a little bit about strategies, uh, how have the strategies changed since you joined in 2011? Um, you know, the strategy in, in 2011, I'd say was just starting affordable housing isn't, wasn't as politically um, as visible back then. Like now, as I was, you know, as I was saying, we were warming up, it was like, now everyone's talking about affordable housing. You even have technology like the Amazons and the Facebooks and the Apples throwing billions of dollars at housing affordability. In 2011, I don't think anyone was really talking about it, um, you know, in, in, in any really big scalable way about the crisis, about it, the, the regional impact, um, the dire need for resources. So it is completely a different kind of industry than it, than it was a decade ago. Yeah, that's definitely something I've seen like even in the media. Uh, so one of the projects you built under your tenure, Gillum Place, it won the ULI Washington Trends Award for Excellence in Affordable Housing. Uh, you've mentioned before that not only is housing it, not only is it about housing, but also an ecosystem to create opportunities. How do you envision this? Um, well, what I love about that project was it, it was kind of the first time we had to, to do retail. And instead of just trying to find anyone to sign a lease. We really wanted to find kind of neighborhood retail that was gonna both help our residents, but help the community at large to make affordable housing kind of an asset that everyone can better appreciate. And we partnered with, it was a church site that they sold us. So they went from having a hundred year old like traditional church to having a 4,000 square foot modern church with multi-purpose rooms, no pews. It was just all super modern where they could still worship, but they could do, you know, now during the pandemic, they've turned it into a, a learning pod. So they can take the residents that live in our building and the people, the church could host learning pods for people so that 
their parents can go to work, right? And then the other part of it, we partnered with a nonprofit, La Cocina VA, a Latina-led um, organization with Patty Finegra. She raised $3 million. It's an incubator. So it's a huge kitchen, sort of like union kitchen, where people can start their own culinary businesses, get trained. So that's what I mean by ecosystem. It's, you know, it's, it's affordable housing, but in there we're doing workforce development, education, worship. It's during the pandemic on Sundays, the, the church members have essential items so people can come down and get diapers and things that they need that they can't afford during the pandemic. It's fresh fruit from the farmer's market that you know, the church members pick up and bring to, to our residents. So, and then in the, in the training kitchen, they're actually preparing meals for the homeless shelter because she wanted to launch a catering business. Well, during COVID, no one's having parties. So she had this beautiful $3 million commercial kitchen that's going unused during a pandemic. Someone gave her a grant to make food and we, and she, so it's like, awesome. how do you be part of like something bigger? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's great hearing how people have kind of shifted and transitioned to like help people out in this pandemic. And that's awesome to hear. Uh, uh, shifting gears a little bit, talking a little bit about uh, affordability and kind of some of the more social issues. Uh, so DC has one of the highest medium incomes in the country and it has a 42% uh, ownership rate in general. But in areas like Ward 8, we still have 78% of people living in rentals. And DC also has one of the highest rates of homelessness among women. What do you think are the most important constraints that create a more equitable development in DC? Um, well, I, I think the challenges, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic are tremendous, right? Especially for women, like, you know, we talked about childcare has been a real problem during the pandemic for a lot of our families. Um, you've, you've had people who were living paycheck to paycheck before the pandemic and the pandemic hit, and then all of a sudden they have nothing because either they get sick um, their kids can't go to school. Um, you know, they're maybe they're in working restaurants or driving Ubers. So we have really seen, you know, firsthand people having to just go to one meal a day or not eat at all to, to you know, maybe they can pay the rent, but they have $2 in their account. So that is really, you know, a function of how rent burdened people are. You're not making enough money to live here. So it's going to start with, how are we going to make sure people are making a living wage? How are we giving people pathways to increase their wealth, right? And, you know, it's the two generation. It's helping the parents, but also helping the kids to make sure we can break cycles of poverty. And it's, it's going to need, like coming out of COVID, it's going to take philanthropy. It's going to take corporate money. It's going to take federal money. It's going to take a lot of creativity to, to get families who were already barely getting by back to even where they were and then having a plan to, to be better than we were. So it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna take a decade, I think, to pull out of this. And you mentioned rent burden and like that's a huge, uh, like a huge burden for a lot of people in the district and also in the region. Uh, how important is ownership of housing, like uh, moving from renting to ownership? How important is that? Yeah, and it's, it's not something APA does today, but candidly, it's kind of my dream. I do think kind of my lived experience is home ownership is what gave my parents the opportunity to have equity, to educate me, to retire, to have healthcare, to have security. And for people during the pandemic that have owned homes have done better, right? 
you know, um, you're not at the whim of a landlord that could evict you, right, as easily and not cooperate with you to get you rent relief and other things. Um, I do, you know, do think that we need a concerted effort. I know the federal government is talking about programs to, to try to help. Maybe it's lease to own models. Maybe it's down payment assistance. I think the hard part in this market is so expensive to build housing. And you, the amount of equity and gap money you need has not been, there are no, there's no scalable home ownership models for low income or moderate income people right now. They just don't exist. So we have to create them, right? And how are we going to harness all of, you know, hopefully the commitment that people have to solving the equity gap and, and putting forward things that might work to, to address it. And then I hope Apple can play some role in it. I don't know what that role might be. It might even just be, you know, identifying within our 2000 households, what's the cohort of people that are ready to take that leap, right? Like just really understanding the needs and where people are in, in our portfolio and making sure that we enroll them in maybe it's, you know, the right credit classes and home ownership prep and then get them the grants so that they have the down payment. Um, so, but, but important topic. Yeah, definitely. Um, talk a little bit about some more about the community. Besides your work with uh, APA, you're also really involved in communities. Uh, what impact does the Latino, uh, Virginia Latino Advisory Board have the work that you do? Sure, so, um, you know, I, I really love uh, volunteering and, and doing things outside of APA that are kind of non, that are more than just housing and the Latino Advisory Board. And I invite anyone here who lives in Virginia, call me, we're, we're, we're looking for more volunteers for the cause. Um, gives the governor of Virginia advice on, you know, healthcare reform, housing, um, immigration, employment, uh, policies and initiatives so that he knows as a governor what's important to the Latinx community throughout the state. And, and we, you know, support things like in-state tuition for the undocumented. We support things like um, reducing barriers for people who don't speak English to getting tested or COVID vaccines or rent relief and are constantly working with the administration when we hear things aren't working, you know. Places are asking for social security numbers to get the vaccine. Well, time out, we know that's not right. So sometimes they give us like talking points so that we can do interviews on behalf of, because the administration may not have enough Spanish speaking ambassadors to get the message out to our communities. So these, these this group, the advisory board is, is helpful in doing that. And then, you know, obviously also working on legislative changes that we think are needed to, to help um, our communities of color. And then we partner with the African-American Advisory Committee, the Asian-American Advisory Committee, and the Commission on, uh, for Women. It's on, on common areas of interest for you know, groups like ours. Awesome. Uh, I had one last question before I was gonna open up uh, the chat for any one house questions. Uh, so for you, what is, in the next five years, what is your major goals, uh, especially in light of your new position? Sure. Um, well, you know, I think for the next five years, APA has kind of recently gone from being a, a one-town shop to being a regional um, group, is continuing to execute regionally. I think that's a big, you know, jump for any organization that went 30 years from working in a 26 square mile area to doing that. 
And I wanna make sure that we continue to execute our projects on budget, um, on time, and then continue to take on kind of ambitious partner uh, programs. And we're getting affordable housing now. That's a new product for us that, that we've not done before, but we have five of those on the books. So getting smart about what that looks like, kind of multi-generational, and I think it's certainly consistent with the demo, demographic trend. And then I think the ready work. So challenging ourselves to your point on home ownership, um, on you know maybe it's better defining consultants and partners we work with that share our values on the racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. It is um, you know really certainly focusing on that. And then also for me the resident services pieces of it. So what educational programs are we putting in place? APA has like 1,200 kids under the age of 25 that live in our properties, right? So we've got 2,000 apartments, 4,000 people, but a lot of our folks are young. So how are we gonna help them with learning loss coming out of the pandemic? What are the tangible goals and metrics? How are we tracking them? And then how are we getting funders to step up with their money to help invest in scalable solutions? And I, and I think that is as important to me as it is building the housing is what's gonna happen inside of, of those homes. Well, thanks so much. Those are all like, yeah, super important issues and I hopefully I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat for the, uh, everyone who's on it. We have the first question from Dennis. He says, I read that APA had a project with large amounts of dwellings used by veterans. Is this supportive housing? Either way, how come there are not many housing models out there to support temporary housing for simple, uh, not as many housing models out there as temporary to, to supportive housing as simply affordable housing. I see a lot of new projects that are just one or the other, so. Yeah, that's a really great question, Dennis. And I think the way we approach it is, our, our typical model is out of any affordable housing project to set aside a percentage to be permanent supportive housing for people who've experienced homelessness. So it's, it's um, you know, like the veterans project that you mentioned is 160 units. You know, our goal there is to do, you know, at minimum 16 permanent supportive housing partnership. And that means typically that person is part of a program, gets identified through a partner, either the Department of Human Services or through um, the VA, if it's a VASH unit, or it's, you know, maybe it's in other projects, it's working with um, the domestic abuse shelter um, and they have their own, you know, rent subsidies and they pair them with programs. So a lot of time, you know, folks who are coming in to us who have higher barriers, who've maybe experienced homelessness, need more help than, or more support than someone who's just rent burdened, doesn't have the income, but doesn't really need anything but lower rent to, to live successfully in the app of property. So we really are intentional about every project having that that you know, the, the folks with more barriers, there's a set aside and, and we're trying to constantly push that number up, you know, maybe in some places it's 20%. Um, but it's really, you know, recognizing that the service piece for it to be successful, you need a fully funded service piece to make sure that people can be successful living independently. And we really have um, app as the landlord in those cases. So we don't deliver the service directly. We have resident services staff that are liaisons to those service providers. So we do things like require a 24 hour hotline so that 
if someone needs help, if they're in crisis, that we have a number we can call at any time and our partner can come and help provide whatever service that resident may need so that they can be successful, stay housed, and that you know our integrated model will work and be successful because that's what it's all about. Awesome, thank you. Uh, a question from Aura. She said, you mentioned your experience from your parents and yourself as immigrants. How has this experience influenced your career path? Um, you know, I think it, it gives me more uh, compassion and, and ability to relate to what, what's something that, you know, we're kind of in, a lot of times you have policies put in place by people who haven't had the lived experience of the person who's living in, in the housing, right? And a lot of our residents are, are immigrants, right, in, in our properties. So, you know, I can have, I can go to one of these listening sessions and speak in Spanish with some of the moms um, of, you know, these women who are, who came here to this country looking for opportunities for their kids. And they want the same things that I want as a, you know, as, as someone who, you know, was born here to immigrant parents. And we have kids in the same grade and we're like sitting here, she's a, you know, a, a resident at APA looking for, you know, a summer camp. She's worried about safety. She's worried about how do I keep my son away from doing this or that? And just having that, you know, it's, it's not them and us. We're all kind of, we all want the same things, right? Which is safety, opportunity, health, you know, stability. And I, 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 I do love, and I, and I, I think having, a, a diverse senior management at a nonprofit, at any organization that can relate to the people we're trying to serve is what's gonna make us more authentic and really help people in a better way to partner with them. Yep, so thank you. Um, question from Paola. She said, coming from a global background with a track record of being successful in providing housing opportunities for communities in need, what recommendations would you give to housing leaders in Colombia or Latin America? Wow, um, that's a great question, Bella. And you know what? I would say viewing housing, you know, high quality affordable housing as, as a political priority and worth investment. And, you know, as, as a, it's a really a, a function of justice, right? Like you really need that to be a thriving, economy and I think we can you know we should showcase that in Latin America as as much as as you know we're striving to do here in Arlington Virginia where you know you need governments to step up and say this is as important as any other global crisis that we're dealing with is is affordability and and keeping our you know our having roofs over the head, eliminating homelessness. I mean, you really, you don't, you don't, it's, it's gotta be intentional. It can't, you know, you wonder, you kind of scratch your head, why is there so much poverty? Why are there so many people? It's because someone in government is, is, is taking kind of a very hands-off, inactive, reactive approach instead of doing what we've done, I think successfully in this region is to say, we want a 10-year plan to end this. And the way you end it is by putting your money where your mouth is, Right and doing what the you know DC is doing and investing 130 million in the trust fund and and Arlington and other people doing it, and 
you can get people housed, you can break cycles of poverty, you can really be a better place for companies who want to put their headquarters, like Amazon is, is part of the reason why they picked this region is they liked our focus on affordability um, and they didn't want to see the crisis replicated that they've you know, seen on the West Coast. So they saw intentional leadership and I, and I think that's what's needed globally. Right. Uh, one final question, I think as we close it out, uh, do you have any advice for women starting in leadership positions from your own experience? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in embrace, you know, to me, I, 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 I'm a people person. I'm, you know, I, I, I love kind of the humanity of, of what we're doing. And I think early in my career, I'd be in meetings and people were so buttoned up and formal. And I felt like maybe to be successful, you had to be like them. And then as I became older, I realized that that's what I think makes, made me successful was, you know, knowing my client better, the community I was working with, the residents I was trying to serve, you know, the funders I was trying to better understand is listening and talking and getting to know one another and we're, you know, and being respectful of others, treat, you know, and I, and I think, you know, as, as maybe a, a, a woman, you're kind of doing that, you're, you know, and in my case, I'm a mother too, right? So realizing I want to be the sort of partner that understands that I want to be looked at as a whole person. I'm going to treat my colleagues and my partners and my funders and everyone like a human being and treat them with respect and 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 try to really um, listen. I guess that's the best thing I could say is I, I encourage everyone to to no matter what position they are in any organization, really be opening open to getting to know who it is that they're working with. Oh, Carmen, thank, thank you so you. much. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I think I think everyone has seen the background of your hard work. Congratulations in such an incredible achievement and accomplishment. It's, it's clearly nothing that you didn't win because you haven't worked hard. You can see that you have really got yourself into a wonderful position that you, you, you deserve it. So congratulations on that. And thanks again for your time today. Okay, thank you so much, Paula. I really appreciate And it's been a pleasure meeting all of you. Thank you Look so forward. much. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you all. Thank you.